Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Attention, if you're an eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk, antelope, or mule deer out west, but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap, look no further than Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone, computer, or TV. Visit OutdoorClass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true. Use discount code EMPIRE20 at checkout for 20% off. The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products to bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level late round bound the next bear race the next cat race whatever you got going joy can keep your dog fueled up i personally feed joy for this reason they are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight they will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or uh, breeders bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us so find joy dog food on the internet find that dealer locator find a dealer near you go to joydogfood.com and keep those hounds fueled by joy All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. Today I'm lucky enough to be joined by my friend, my compatriot, and this weekend my roommate, <laughs> Mr. Stephen Green. Stephen, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Josh. All right, now we're out here. We're out here at the Pro Sport Truck Series uh, in Walterboro, South Carolina. And yesterday, if you go to the joy facebook page you can see the live coverage we're doing of the event and all that stuff and you told me during this live coverage uh i said how'd you get the nickname honey bun and he said it's a long story i see he said i'll get to it before this weekend's over when now's your chance steve i want to hear about it why they call you honey bun so <clears throat> i grew up deer dog hunting with my dad and my granddad <clears throat> we hunted in a club not far from here yemacy outside of 95 and we've always had dogs and uh my old man for some reason the last drive of the day he'd make me sit on the truck so we were sitting on the truck and it was getting starting to get dark and i heard some people come across the radio and said uh hey bubba that was my dad said bubba your dogs are going to 95. so i knew he was way across there Mm -hmm. because he traveled I mean, he drove the woods as hard as any man that's ever lived. So he had just bought, a, I think it was a 1988 GMC Sierra. It was dark blue, four-wheel drive, long bed. 
And I got in a truck, and I went to go cut the dogs off. Well, you've seen the water and mm-hmm. mud that's down here this weekend. I got that truck bogged down in a mud hole. Well, I wasn't supposed to be driving it anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 13 years old, and uh, actually I was 12. I, w- I hadn't turned 13 yet, and I got that thing stuck. So I I'd seen them wedge logs and stuff under the tires and you know get a grip mm-hmm. and pull them out so there was a big old fat lighter stump over there and that thing was probably as long as this table and it cone shaped so i put the cone shape in up under the mud of the tire trying to get traction to get out of that mud hole because i already knew i was mm-hmm. in trouble and i was gonna take that i was gonna take that beating anyway <laughs> and uh <clears throat> so i got in there and that thing had a 350 in it and at that time, I didn't know what 350 was or mm-hmm. anything. I I didn't know it was that powerful. 88 GMC 350. That's one of the best motors ever made. Yeah, it was it was strong. Yeah. So I got on that thing, and uh, that tire started spinning, and it grabbed hold of that lighter knot, and it shot that lighter knot up through the bed of the truck, <laughs> went through the cab, busted the glass out, went through the front windshield, took the pillar, and separated it. <laughs> And it's lucky it didn't kill me. It's lucky mm-hmm. it didn't go through the back of my head. I, I was just short enough to where it just missed yeah. me. <clears throat> so I sat there, and I, I was crying. I was crying like a baby because I knew I was fixing to get the worst whooping <laughs> of my life. So they came on the radio, and they were like, um, they called me Little Bubba back then. And they said, where are you at, Little Bubba? I wouldn't come on the radio. I wouldn't talk to nobody. I actually turned the radio off, and I just sat there. And uh, it was about an hour later, truck lights come up behind me. Well, <clears throat> it was my dad and Bert Lodeholt. They called Bert Lodeholt the mouth of the south. He lives over here in Early Branch. <laughs> and uh, he walked up there, and my old man was so mad he couldn't even talk. And Bert Lodeholt, there was a honey bun sitting on the dash of the truck. And Bert Lodeholt, being the person he is, he said, Bubba, you can't get mad at that boy. And Bubba said, what do you mean? He said, he just OD'd on a honey bun. <laughs> and that stuck with me all my life. And, and honestly and truly, I can tell you this. Most all of my friends that I consider true friends, you'll hear them call me bun. Most of them have shortened it up. Yeah. If somebody calls me by my name, they don't really know me. I'm just, you know, it's it's stuck with me that long. And it's just, when I have my feed store, that's what everybody called me, bun. You know, uh, uncles, that's what they called me. That's just, that was my name. I know, you know I've talked to a few people, and I've said, well, I'm with Steve Green, or I just got a phone with Steve Green. They say, who? I said, Stephen Green from out there, South Carolina. Oh, oh, bun? And I that's I didn't know your nickname was Honeybone yeah. whenever we first talked, you know, yep. eight, ten months ago, a year ago, you know. I said, I don't know, I guess. He goes, Yeah, it's Honeybone. Yeah. I said, Okay, well from now on you was Honeybone and everybody called you yep. Honeybone, so I called you Honeybone. That's right. I mean, this this weekend, the people you see come up to me, that's what they you know. What'd you, what'd your dad say? Uh he didn't say nothing. I we went back, um we actually had uh, old school buses gutted out mm-hmm. on the club and that's what we slept in. And we went back there that night, and I just I looked at the ceiling, 
and all I wanted to do was go home. Mm-hmm. I wanted my mama. Yeah. That's what I wanted because I knew that was only going to be my saving grace because he still, I think if he'd have put a whooping on me, he probably wouldn't have got off because mm-hmm. he was just so mad. But we drove home Monday. He bought, he went and bought another truck Monday at Hampton because he was originally from Hampton. Yeah. And uh, we drove home. He never said a word about it. He, you know, uh, as a parent, and you may, you're going to back me up on this, I'm sure, but when my kids screw up and they don't take it rough on themselves, that's when they get in trouble. Yeah. That's when they get a whooping. That's when they're, when they don't understand that they even done wrong and they don't think they done wrong, and I know they did, that's when they're in trouble. Yeah. I, when, tr- I try to talk all my life. My, my daughter, I've never really had. I could look at my daughter, mm-hmm. and that was all it took. Um, my son, he's like me. He's real strong-willed. Um, yeah. So it took a little bit more for him. But I always said that I, when I, if I had, if God blessed me with children, that I would just, you know, try to try to do better. And I always try to talk to my kids first, and I like for them to tell me, you know, hey, I did wrong, and they still know they're going to get disciplined. Yeah. But when they do it like that, that means to me that they they understand that they've done wrong, and they, let's let's try to you know grow from this experience. So, but back when I was a kid, I got my butt tore up regular. <laughs> I mean, I was just that kid, you know. I mean, and it didn't hurt me. Yep. It made me it made me a man. Yep. I don't hold it against my dad. I mean, he you know, I'm sure everything that I got got for, I deserved every bit of it. I was blessed enough to be raised a good portion of my life by my grandparents who had had eight kids of their own uh my older brother off and on and foster kids and i don't know at one time my grandma put like 13 14 kids on the school bus so i'd done seen all these kids get their butts i was the youngest i was the baby and i got done seeing all these kids get their butt whooped every time they'd done something wrong so i thought well i'm at least not going to get caught <laughs> i didn't want no part of that so i'd got a few whoopings every now and then but you know, i tried to be good whenever i knew that that was the opportunity that i was going to get you That's know right. it was a whooping i'm almost these guys led by example now my brother took them my brother took several of them but yeah. i looked around and thought, oh, i don't want none of that that hurts <laughs> yeah, i took a lot more than my brother did but he yeah. was the baby so yeah see talking about deer hunting back deer hunting with dogs and one thing I want to talk about on this podcast is we're out here and uh, when we agreed to do the pro sport coverage and stuff like that, and I seen they were coming out to Walterboro, and it's a good haul from my house. It's an 18-hour trip. Uh, I've never been out here. It gives me an opportunity to see. I mean, I've been to South Carolina, but, you know, you go to Charleston or you go to Myrtle Beach or something. That's not South Carolina. That's, that's just that's where. That's commercial. Yeah, that's where the tourists go. You know, I've been there multiple times. And uh matter of fact, if Lauren's listening to this, my cousin, she goes, oh, I love South Carolina, and I like to look at the old plantation. I said, hey, South Carolina. I said, South Carolina's at this coon hunt we're getting ready to go to, and that's what I want to see. That's right. But, uh, you know, it gives me the opportunity to see a different area and a different style of hunting, different dogs and stuff like that. And that's one reason I want to do this with you, of course, is you've been out here doing this for how many years? Well, I turned 50 in September, and I've been doing it since I was a kid. Yeah. Um I've been blessed to hunt with some of the best in this state, some of the worst in this yeah. state. Uh, I've got to hunt pretty much every piece of terrain you could give me in this state, and we, we've we got it all here. I mean, when you can go to mountains, you can go to rolling hills, sand hills, and then you're in this part, what we call the low country. Mm-hmm. 
The low country is my favorite place of the state just because of, you know, the people. The people are a little bit different down here. Um, great people. Yes. Um, great people. And the hunting down here in the low country has been a tradition for I can't even tell you how many years. I mean, so going back to I started – my my fa- my dad was a big deer dog hunter. So was my grandfather, and and they um <clears throat> you know they entered. I was introduced into that, and I absolutely love it. Um, it's exciting. It's great for kids. Um, it's it's starting to die out a little bit in the state, but we still have a lot of good dog clubs in the state of South Carolina. When you say dog clubs, that's something. Because our Western guys are big game guys and stuff. They're not going to understand that. A lot of our Midwestern coon hunters and stuff, you know, there's no such thing as dog clubs where we're at. So these are just straight up big leases just for deer dogs? What, yeah, what it is is tim- a lot of it's timber company land yeah. and a lot of it's privately owned farmland. And um, you lease from the timber company. You know, they have tens of thousands of acres, mm-hmm. which has dwindled down some. Um, the club that we used to hunt in at, in Yemassee, we had about 20,000 consecutive acres. Yeah. It was just one big old block of woods divided up by roads. Um, and, you know, you get farmers, and it actually helps the farmers because they'll lease it out. You're helping them in a couple ways. Everybody knows the damage that deer do to crops. Farmers lose money. And it also helps farmers pay taxes those leases yeah so it's a win-win for you know a lot of it but that's pretty much when you say you know dog clubs that's what they are yeah and there are some of these dog clubs have been around for i don't know 60 70 years the farther you get east of the mississippi and i've been i'm not a big fan east of the mississippi in most places now there's pockets uh to us considering where we live we got I'm going to ballpark it. Maybe 3,000 people in our county. Maybe in the surrounding counties, probably about the same number. I mean, there just ain't no folks. And when I get east of the Mississippi and you look at, you know, the Ohio's, parts of Indiana, Illinois, where you're hunting at the World Hunt, it's just so crowded to us. You know, there's folks everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But right here, and I drove all this, you know, in the daylight. I stopped in Tennessee, of course, and visited with Hoop and Tater and then drove the rest. I thought, man, it's just so many people, so many people, so many people. Then I get to Walterboro. And then I can see where you guys are hunting. And I can see these big tracks of woods and things like that. And so that's it's pretty country and a pretty, you know, getting more crowded area. Is that going to be a problem for these deer hunters? Because, you know, it's the same thing everywhere. There's, And I can't blame anybody for wanting to get out of the city. Uh, we've all been to those places, and we don't want to be there either. But, you know, they, these guys come up, and they, they're breaking these big chunks of ground up, you yeah. know, everywhere, Texas to home. Is they're doing the same thing here? Yeah, because the – the big thing for probably the last 10 years in this state that I've seen is people buying five and 10 acre tracks and they want to get away from the city and they have them what they call them like a mini farm or whatever. And that's, uh, so when they do sell these places at at 10 acres is more than one acre. So they used to put 10 houses, a house on each acre. Mm -hmm. Now they're putting one on 10. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, so yeah, it it does it does affect the the ground we have in timber. Uh they cut a lot of timber in this state. Yep. A lot of timber. 
and uh, that affects it. Yeah, the the hunting, especially on the on the deer hunting side. Yeah, what do those what do those dogs do? I mean, because you got cutovers everywhere. You know, it's a timber lease. If you're hunting a timber lease, I mean, you just try to avoid those spots. No, there ain't nothing actually, you can do about it. Actually, your cutovers is where you where you want to be the one, because where the deer are. those deer bed up in there, and um, yep, uh, smaller pines, yeah. thicker the thicker. The plantation type stuff, there's no cover for them. They're not going to be there. Really, they want to be where cover is. They want you know undergrowth, briars, protection. Yeah. And so cutovers are actually, if they grow up in a cut, you know, if they cut it, it'll take three or four years for it to come back to start coming. About year four is perfect. Really. So, a lot of these leases, you just want them to replant. Yeah. And replant quickly. So you can get that cut over and that growth start coming up because it'll hold more deer. We're gonna get let's get into the coon hunting here in a little bit, but before we do that, because deer dogs fascinate me and the deer hunting culture in the southeast fascinates me. Uh, I'm yet to be able to take part in any, any of it. Next time I'm out here, we're gonna line up deer yeah. hunting. You're gonna, gonna come. Go. You're gonna come to go. dog hunting with me this yeah. winter because I think it's gonna be. It always looked like it would just be an absolute blast. It is. You it's know? more fun than you ever dreamed. Yeah. So take me on your. It's. Thursday or Friday night, you're headed to your to your dog dog leash, your dog camp, and you're gonna stay Friday night, hunt Saturday morning. What's Saturday morning look like? So Saturday morning, you'll get there early, mm-hmm. real early, uh, and then you see how many people you have. You have standards, and you have dog men. Yeah, your standards they surround the block that you're running, and then you strategically put your dog packs so to run the deer out. Yeah, so <clears throat> they'll draw they'll they'll draw however many people's at the club they they figure out what drives they're going to hunt that day they try not to hunt we try not to hunt the same drives like only once a month really we don't try to over hunt it you know sometimes i have been in clubs where the land is smaller and we only hunt three saturdays out of four and never hunt and rotate right and that keeps your neighbors good too because that's one thing about dog hunting if you're steady in there pounding the same track of land every Saturday, mm-hmm. you get some upset neighbors. If you're only there one Saturday and they kind of know and they pat, you know, they're aware of it and it works better. And that's that's a big thing down here in the state of South Carolina is, you know, keeping your neighbors happy with dog hunting. And, and Garmin's really dog hunting would have probably been demolished down here, but Garmin's have basically saved it. Yeah. because we have more control we know where they are we can cut them off keep them on our land not off of other landowners because most places in this state if there's a if there's a dog club right here there's a steel hunting club probably on both sides right and you know they they don't want you messing up their hunt which is understandable um so you, you got to keep your neighbors happy down here with that but garments have really really helped us if we'd have had garments 20 years ago dog hunting would still be as big as it is in the state of south carolina yeah it really would be um so but you know and then you 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 usually do two drives in the morning break for lunch and some clubs do two in the evening i prefer the clubs that do one in the evening because about four o'clock i'm ready to go home be with the family and stuff get everything put up and but that's that's a typical day in the deer dog woods um and it's very, it's very, very kid friendly. Yeah. A lot of kids 
really enjoy it because they don't have to sit up in a stand. Right. They don't have to be quiet. They can make noise. Yeah. You know, and it's just a, it's just a, it's fun. Yeah. It, it's a fun time for them. So I really enjoy watching youth kids get into deer dog hunting starting out. That, that reminds me a lot of when I went to Wisconsin bear hunting and just the amount of families that took part in that. It wouldn't just be, you know, because don't get me wrong, my kids coon hunt and they love their dogs and stuff, but it's a Monday night. They got school on Tuesday to have. And so with that culture, with starting these kids on deer dogs and stuff like that, you look at a, a gentleman like yourself that you said you was out there 12 years old with your daddy running deer dogs and stuff and coon dogs i assume was a natural transition for you yeah yeah um my uncles were uh big time coon hunters and you know i had to wait to a certain age to, yeah. to play in the dark but getting back one thing i want to say you talk about you know kids and families and stuff at the bear hunt our club there's there's wives mm-hmm. girlfriends children i'm talking about three and four and yep. five kids pile up in one truck and we put them with dog men and they just absolutely they'll sit yep. on that back of that dog box they'll have a red rider bb gun shooting at deer coming across the road <laughs> i mean it's just it's just fun you yeah. know and it's what to me i think a lot of kids need it and we have boys and girls that do do it in our club i mean they just the outdoors is good it's, it's healthy for kids it is especially it's, now yeah that's what i'm saying it's yeah. a health it's a healthy getaway for kids it's no more important than it is right now in 2023 to get those kids into an outdoor sport i agree i absolutely agree so speaking of that how'd you get into coon hunting so <clears throat> i um i had uncles that that did it and um just started pleasure hunting at first and uh they didn't competition hunt much that, they they were in a local the local coon club uh and but they didn't competition hunt a lot and i had a friend tim kirby um he's a barber mm-hmm. up there where i live and uh i went over and got my hair cut one day. he said you ought to go to this hunt tonight with me so i got we packed up in the truck and went and i'm gonna tell you what i was bit from day one day one so i started competition hunting and uh, really, it never looked back. And uh, but I, I absolutely love the pleasure hunting side, especially when I can, uh, like around me. I I got Tyler, his son Brenner, uh, Brandon Kelly, Casey Kelly, James Taylor, and James Tool. That's our that's the, mm-hmm. our crowd. And I just love going pleasure hunting with those guys. They're younger than me, um, and I just enjoy it. It's, it's something I enjoy doing. And then we go to hunts and stuff and, you know, hit one here. And I don't hit the hunts like I used to because I made a promise to my wife when my son was born that I was going to slow down. Yeah. And then most people can tell you I used to be at one every night somewhere. I'd be at one. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I kind of got started in the coon hunting, you know, just I got to an age where I was allowed to stay out, you know, get out of school and go. I could go till 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and get home as long as I got up and everything yeah. was right, you know. And So we did that, and I've just been doing it ever since. When you transition, because we all make that transition from pleasure hunter to competing. 
Uh, when did you, was it right away that you wanted to go to a coon hunt? Were you reading about them in the magazines as a young kid, or was it something that you just kind of worked your way into gradually? Yeah, I never never did get the magazines when I was young. It's like I said, when I, I went with Tim up to a local hunt, it yeah. was a PKC hunt. PKC just started here in this state then, which Tim had, Tim Kramer had a very big part in that. Yeah. He's always you know had that for the state and but we went i went to that hunt with them and they told me to take bring my dog but i i said no i, said, I just want to go mm-hmm. and spectate i want to see what it's all about and i got out there and i was like man i was like i could i could have won this cast with my dog if i'd have brought it you know that's what i said to myself. <laughs> that's what everybody thinks ain't i it? <laughs> said that to myself and um so they had another local one next the next week back then we only had the clubs only had one a month yep and we had a few clubs around there so they had them strategically planned out where you could get go to one one once a week you know once didn't really have weekday hunts hardly yeah it's always a friday or saturday deal but they had them spread out we drew 30 35 dogs every one of them yeah i mean it was really competitive good dogs too and i went to my first one and i actually won it so and you weren't you weren't you you were serious yeah you said i could have won that cast and you actually could well i said that i don't like know 10 years before i ever won one i, I don't know if that was just me thinking that i could have yeah. won it but i got i went to my first one and i won it and then it was about 20 straight that i lost yeah and i got humbled very quickly <laughs> about but i also noticed that i had a pleasure dog trying to compete with competition dogs so then i went on a mission to try to learn exactly what it took mm-hmm. to compete with these other these big time guys, these guys that are winning. And uh, I'll never forget. I went to the Sunshine Jamboree when it was in Thomasville the first time. That was maybe ninety ninety one. Um, and there was two or three hundred dogs down there, and I drew out with my old pleasure dog and uh i mustered up a cast win and i don't know how i did it but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was hunting against way more powerful dogs the yeah. dogs that you see in the standings and stuff you know and uh after that i started looking for a dog and my grandmother and my grandfather they were the best to me and my grandmom said <laughs> You're all right. She said, she said, boy, she said, you go find your dog. She said, I don't care what it costs. And your granddaddy will buy it for you. She said, because I think this is the best thing for you. So I went and I got me one. And I did some daggone winning with that sucker. And he died on me with kidney failure. And that old dog showed me what it took to compete. And I was very competitive after that. So there was a man named Charles Scott who lived in Lawrence. He was a, I guess you'd say he was a money man. And uh, he'd buy me and Tim whatever we wanted. And uh, we actually bought... We actually bought Crank from Kurt Aaron. He he wanted Crank bad. The plot. Yeah, the plot. We owned we owned Crank, the big plot doll. 
which I'm sure he wasn't full blooded plot because he didn't he didn't move like yeah. one. He was a he was a he was a pretty bad outfit. But anyway, um, I I bought when Nick Alberson was getting out. I bought Sand Creek Squealer from him. I told Charles I said I want Squealer. She was nine years old then. But she's one of the most dominant cast winners I've ever seen in my life. I think she was deaf. She couldn't hear another yeah. dog. And she'd treat two or three coon around every other dog. And she just I just consistently showed up with her. And uh, I did a lot of winning with her. And, and we bought Trip My Trigger from Wyatt Wright, which we bought a couple. We bought the rat dog and the ghost dog from Wyatt. And uh, I hunted Trigger. I did a lot of winning with Trigger. Um Let's see. What was the name of the dog your grandma bought you? It was a dog called Diamond Sam. He actually won uh, that big uh, hunt out there with y'all, Battle of the Breeds, mm-hmm. out Oklahoma. The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is proud to partner with Cajun Lights. Cajun Lights can outfit all of your hunting light needs, everything from the high-quality Rogaroo, super bright, super versatile, They've got a Bayou, which is a mid-range price light. And then one of my personal favorites is the Micro Gator. I use that for big game hunting, finding tracks, just uh, general use. If I need a light on my head, I'm grabbing my Micro Gator. I've looked for bear tracks in that thing, lion tracks, cat tracks, coon hunting with it, hog hunting with it at night. I've even used it to work on the plumbing in the house. Super bright, super dependable. Everything that LW sells down there is high quality, and the customer service is second to none. Every week, I'm getting notifications that they're adding new items to their store. They've got briar-proof clothing coming out. they got a jacket out right now that's really nice. I put the vest through the paces this last bear season and coon season. Couldn't be happier with that. I can't find anything there that I, that I don't like, and I like dealing with lw nixon and cajun lights so check them out you can go to houndsmanxp.com you can follow that link to cajun lights right from our website check them out folks he was he was a dog that was way before his time he was a road runner it took me a while to figure him out but you cut that sucker and he'd be a mile in less than like five minutes and he'd be treed and what he would do is he'd go find a road and he'd road hunt and he'd just peel off this ditch mm-hmm. or peel off this creek. or and I tell you, when I, I caught him, that's the dog I took to uh, plot days, PKC plot days, when I first time I ever drew Scotty uh, Engel and, uh, up there. And uh, we cut him in this section, and he peeled right back out down about 50 yards down the road, and you could hear his toenails <laughs> clopping the pavement. <laughs> and uh, somebody turned their light on him, and it was him. And he went right down there to the creek because we turned up the hill about a quarter. It was about a quarter from the creek. He went right there and treed about 25 yards off the road. And uh, that was when I figured out he, that's, that was his style. Yeah. And most people hated drawing him locally. They hated that because they knew they were going to get gutted. Yeah. He'd, he'd gut you. I mean, he just, he'd walk you to death. And uh, But he always had a coon when he parked every time. I never went to a tree um and he uh he died a kid his, he had renal failure and uh they think he got into some kind of chemical in yeah. the farm yep. uh 
and it, it cut his life a little bit short. But he was a heck of a hound. Um, but at, at about that time, I started seeing what it took, you know, to compete. You know, you needed a dog that treated coons yeah. fast. The more coons you scored in 120 minutes. What year was that? Uh, maybe 90, 92. Okay, so 92. Then we're hunting. You said he was before his time. I mean, there's a dog right there. And just in, just I'm going to give him as an example. Uh, I wasn't competition hunting at all. I mean, I'd been I was local UKC hunting when I was 12, you know, but it was the same guys you pleasure hunted against, all good dogs. But uh, you said he was before his time. In 92, when you lined four dogs up and you cut them loose for two hours, I would venture to say nine out of ten casts, those dogs are on every single tree together. Well, this is this is when I when I hunted in. This is what I saw, and it, and a lot of it has to do with the type of terrain you're. Yeah, hunting. see, we were regional. I mean, this is just just a, yeah. I never hunted over fifty miles from my house at right. that point, you know. But that's what I remember. When even pleasure hunting, uh, you turn dogs loose. They treed together. Everybody yeah. argued about who treed it first, right. whether it was a coon hunt or a pleasure hunt, and then you went in and you done it again. Yeah. So they they best of my knowledge to to remember remembering this stuff. We'd have a couple dogs that would always pack up. Yeah. But then there was always one or two in that cast that would get off to themselves at some point. Right. Now, uh, in this country where I live. You've got to get a piece of it out of the truck, and then you want to recut and be by yourself, and that's how you win. So nothing's changed on that point. No. Because that's especially right here with pro sport. That's what hurts some of our dogs, you know, that are leash lock rule ready, is they're not quick enough. They're not going to cover that coon out of the truck. Sometimes they're not even going to stay if that coon, if they get covered out of the truck. And so you got you're treeing for a quarter out of the truck if you're treeing at all, even if you tree it because with rain, sand, con, dud. Well, not dud so much, but most of the stuff that we're hunting, you you take that quarter out of the pickup because you don't know if them dogs are going to be there, you know. And so that hurts in pro sport. Yeah, you know we've won a truck in pro sport and we've done well, but it wasn't because we were to you know it was just different. Right. But right now you're seeing more dogs that'll cover out of the truck maybe even cover off the recut a little bit and slide over there and get one by themselves and stuff like that. And that's the kind you said you wanted back then, and that's the kind I'd really like mm-hmm. to have now. Yeah, and that's that's kind of that's kind of what I try. Um, because most of the time, if you think about it, you're going to be hunting around your house. Yeah. So you want your dog to fit what you're hunting. Mm-hmm. If you're in big woods, he doesn't ever have to be with another right. dog. But as land shrinkage happens because we talked about earlier these houses subdivisions golf courses where i live there's either a horse farm a golf course or a subdivision everyone gripes about the deer hunters and the people moving in from the city but i'm i think we need to boycott the horse farm yeah them, horse, them horse people are hard on us. they are they are they could they'll they'll, cl- they'll flatten some of the best timber you've yeah. ever seen not think yeah. twice about it but um so you know that's that's changed from me going to being able to hunt everywhere and having big blocks of wood yeah. where I could I could hunt a dog that was consistently by itself and be okay. But now I don't have that. So if I'm hand picking a dog and drawing it, drawing him up like I want to on paper, 
I want him to, and I don't care how he gets it. If I can, I want a hundred strike and whatever piece of that first tree I get. I just want to be on the positive mm-hmm. side of mm-hmm. things. All right. And then I want to recut because I know I'm going to hunt a dog that's going to be by himself yep. on a recut. It's going to get quiet and he can sink in there a half, yeah. three quarters and be by himself before anything can cover him. And so now you've gone to these progressive tree rules, which I absolutely like. Yep. Whether I win or get beat on them, I absolutely like them. Because that keeps the backpacker, the cover, it keeps him at, at bay is what I'm saying. So, well, it's, I want to touch on some rules and some where the sport's going as far as the competition side of it. But last night we were talking on the live feed about – the uh, oyster beds in the tide and i know it's i don't think you understand how foreign that is to everybody from about i don't know 200 miles from here and west uh dogs getting their feet cut up in oyster beds how the tide affects the i was fascinated by that last night when you were explaining to me that you want a high tide when you turn loose in these places and stuff so what do when we're talking about oyster beds and the trouble that they give these dogs, explain that to everybody. So when the tide goes out, it takes all the all the water out of these creeks, uh, and it pulls the moon pulls the tide out. So they it's basically making it a dry bed. So these oyster beds are up under here. So these coons, when that tide goes out, there's king coons go out there, then they crack them oysters and they feed on them oysters. All right, a dog gets out there and runs. There's not a tree within miles and things. Mm-hmm. So a dog gets out there, and that coon just runs around, and it's called pluff mud. It's all black mud. It'll sink you up to your neck. I mean, it's terrible. It's the worst stuff you've ever been in your life. You think you die, you're going to yeah. quicksand or something. So dogs get out there, and they, they, they have a hard time maneuvering in it, and those coons just walk across the top of it. Mm-hmm. And they just run around in circles out there, just, just run them and run them and run them and run them. Um, I don't know if you heard um, Fish last night. You know, he was talking about his dog stayed in the marsh two hours. Really? Yeah, and had to go get it. It's because the tide was low. So if the tide's high, it pushes the coons back up on the land, on these islands, timbered. Dogs don't get out there. They tree coons. Yeah. So at 8 o'clock last night, it was dead low tide. So those guys were hunting in the worst time of the tide that they could hunt on the marsh mm-hmm. but the late round it was going to be high tide at one o'clock it was going to be perfect so a lot of guides down here they try to pick and choose their places and they'll stay away from that and no matter how good it is they'll stay away from it during low tide during low tide yeah. and then when the tide's right they'll go they'll go hunt that so it's uh yeah it's it's something different, but and yeah, the, and the oyster beds with the crack shells and all that stuff—they're hard on the dog's feet. Oh, they're sharp said. as razor blades, bud. Really? Yes, sir. They'll <laughs> cut a dog's feet up. They get infected because of all the algae and yeah. stuff on them. It'll just slice them open. Their feet will swell up big as my fist. I've—I had a dog one time that she—she she absolutely just—I think she enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, I would come down here and hunt, and it take me ten, twenty days to get her healed up, soaking her in Epsom salt every day, and. It, it just yeah it's it's no good for them do some dogs naturally that that hunt in this terrain all the time just say look i'm not getting in that fluff mode 
Well, I'm a. I'm or they, tell can you they this. just not help it? I'm gonna tell you this. They're not gonna help it because the coons are running out there. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna tell you what will help it. The man behind the leash. Yeah. He can make them stay from out there. Yeah. He can send them a text message and say, "Hey, get out of the marsh. Get back yeah. up here on dry land. The coon- tree up here. Trees are up here. It's no different than our cornfield races. So it's training. Yeah. It's it's training. You want to train them. But I'm gonna tell you something. Tim Kramer had a female called Swift Creek Ann. Strickland probably just told yeah, you about. Yeah, her. we were just talking we about. We were just her talking about Ann. Ann was the best at taking us taking two or three dogs in the marsh, leaving them in there, and then coming back up training a coon on you. She could take a coon, and and she could take a coon out of the marsh and put him back on the yeah. dry land. She was one of the best I've ever seen. I've never seen one any better than. I, it. I got a theory. The trader dog's feet are so terrible, and they flat, and they look like a muskrat foot. I think they would get in that fluff mode and be all right. Hey, <laughs> Maybe nah, it'd be they like may, snowshoes. They may, but I'm gonna tell you what: those oyster shells—they take no pity on any yeah. of them. I mean, it's like walking on razor blades. And I mean, you get those oyster beds; they're bigger, bigger around as this room in here. Really? Yes, sir. They're huge. Huh? Yeah. Well, and that just goes to show you. And of course, this goes out. I think, uh, I don't know, I'm going to guess 30, 40 countries are listening to this podcast. And, of course, most of the United States. I don't know if we got any listeners in Hawaii or Alaska or not. We probably do. But there's such a variation in terrain. You're talking about shocking them out of the oyster beds and getting them out of there. And, and dogs can learn that, you know, with the right handler and stuff. And I, I was just picturing cornfield races in July when them, dog, them coons won't leave that corn. You get in them big cornfields, they ain't leaving it. Them dogs will run them things around and run them around. And I hate, I won't turn loose and stand in corn in the summer at home if I'm pleasure hunting. Now, if I want to, if I'm getting ready to go out to Indiana for the Labor Day Classic or something like that, and I know I'm going to be in those things, you know, I'll turn loose. But we, we buzz them out of them things all the time. Yeah. We don't want them in there. Yeah, bean fields are the same yeah. thing. They're, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't tree a coon in a cornfield or a bean no. field. No. And what makes a dog, and I think... You know, you talk to lion guys and you talk to big game guys and they want that dog that's just going to take that track. Because with a lion, say say Brett Vaughn's hunting hunting dry ground lions and there's one track. That's it. There's one track. He wants a dog to hit that track no matter how bad it is and finish it. And we don't want that. We have the luxury of having multiple tracks. And so we want our dogs to pick the tracks. You know, mm-hmm. it's a completely different situation. But these dogs that stay in them bean fields and stay in them oyster fields and stay in the corn fields or whatever, I think they're just that one track minded dog that, you know, you're going to have to do something with him or he's going to stay there until you catch him or he finally gets it caught or whatever. Yeah. And, and I can speak for the marsh. There's so many coons that feed out there in yeah. those marshes. There's, there's a million tracks. So they never, they never lose. It's always a hot track yeah, out there they got because that drive. because it's just about like it's like God ringing the dinner bell. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Free oysters, boys. <laughs> yeah, and they all come to the. That's where they go. I mean, as a guy like, that likes oysters, I'd be out there yes, too sir. if I was Me a too. I love them. one of my favorite foods. <laughs> yeah. Shrimp and oysters is my favorite. Yeah. But that's that's basically what it is. It's it's no different than a deer feeder with a timer going yeah. off that goes click click click, and there's 15 coons sitting up around that little old feed plot. They come down, eat the corn. Yeah. Go back up, same way with those canes. They go up, they sit up there in the sun during the day, 
Wait till that, the tide goes. Wait till that tide yeah. goes, whether it's whether it's the middle of the day or if it's the middle of the night, and they're out there feeding. Hmm. And I mean, you know, so it's a million hot tracks out there, and that's why dogs stay in the marsh because when they're running a track, they just run over top of yeah. another one, and it's just hot as the one to left, and they stay there. When we talk about different trains, different country, our end goal on the competition side of it is to be under more coons than the dogs next to you that's it i mean bottom line is and people can talk about oh it's a competition dog it ain't fun to pleasure hunt or it, it's it's just running wild and and it's barking too much and it's it's just a babbling idiot and all that stuff but at, in the end in most of these casts what people don't understand the dog that trees the most coons or is under the most coons whether it be covering treeing whatever is going to win 99 out of 100 of those casts no doubt and a lot of times the covering dog that gets a piece of mine, gets a piece of yours, yeah. gets a piece of the next guy's. When you tally it up after 120 minutes, he's got you beat. Yeah, and that's – there's folks – and don't get me wrong, I hate a dog that covers. I'm sure you do too, and most of these guys do too, but it's getting to the point now, and this is one of the points I wanted to get into, is we tailor-made – we tailor-make these dogs to rule sets. Mm-hmm. We have for years. Uh, we've done it ever since the – beginning of competition coon hunting and now with pro sport and ukc with no leash lock and pkc with a leash lock <coughs> you know those are the three made kennel clubs those are the ones that people are making a living off of we 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 can mold these dogs really quickly it doesn't take but a couple of generations or a guy with the checkbook to go find the right dog to win the right hunt and i tell you something too that i believe in the, the introduction of the garmin yeah has absolutely made that so much simpler because you're not you're you're not you're understanding more of what he's how he's moving around yeah and where he's at well you talked about your dog and, that was running the road and it took you a long time to figure out what he was yeah. doing you didn't know yeah. that in five minutes i didn't know it yeah the first time i hunted yeah and it, he was just so good at it yeah he was really sneaky it was just that one night he slipped up yeah. and he let me know and uh yeah but i think I think that has a lot to play in the way we have these dogs, the rules. We're always going to try to have a dog that fits the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been different, you know, there's been different rule changes and most of them didn't work. And you always go back to how it was because it was right the first time on most occasions. Yeah, I agree. Um, Except for the leash lock. I'm going to, I'm going to let yeah. my line in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> I wish the PKC would have left it off. Yeah, I, I, I agree to that because yeah. I mean, if you're paying to hunt, and, and I've won, I've won by the leash lock, and I've I lost by the leash lock. I have to, and so I mean, it's a double edged sword with pretty much everybody. But real, and and being honest, if you're just being honest with yourself, you want that the dog and the dogs against you to be able to go because it's it's like this. On the leash, he's not going to make any mistakes. Yeah. But off the leash, he's got that opportunity to go tree a slick, get out of the pocket, and you still have a better chance of winning. Yeah. Um. You know. So, I, I agree with you. I like not having a leash lock. I'm all for the not not the leash lock. But I tell you one thing that I don't I don't like, and I don't hunt as many hunts as I used to, and I don't really have as big a voice in it or say so because a lot of guys that are hunting but i absolutely cannot stand when people try to make them up a rule to fit their dog 
at the time yep. of the dog they're hunting. And then the next dog that they have, they want to change it because it doesn't fit them. Yep. them. Yep. Like you see that all the time. So I, I really, I really don't like that, that part of it. Uh, I, I just wish you'd leave look rules alone. Yep. And, um, I actually wanted to, I think UKC does it right in that they change rules by vote one time every year. Yep. I think uh, PKC should follow suit. I believe pro sports should as well as far as just have us. My proposal was you can only change a rule between October and October with a 100% unanimous vote from the national directors. It's the only time you can change it. In October at the World Hunt, all the national directors, they sit down, they vote on the rule changes, and a majority can change it then. That way it's had a year to sit in there, to see what's effective, see what isn't, and then if the members don't like it, then they can voice their opinions to the national directors. The national directors can vote on it once a year. If you bring a ballot measure up between October and October in the competition year, it's got to be unanimous. Yeah. If one person votes no, then it's not. Then it's a no. You know, I was I was reading over last night in between while we were waiting on Cass to come in from the early round to the late round. I was reading over pro sports rules just yeah. because it was just something for me to do, you know. And I, honestly, to me, they their rules are right. Yeah, I think I, so. I didn't see one place where I would say, hey, that, that, that rule stinks. They need yeah. to change it. They, I think that the thing that they've done that most of the other kennel clubs don't, haven't done – is they listen to people, and they listen to the right people, and they establish those rules, and those rules work. Because honestly, and I'm going to say this, and I might get some flat slash back on it, but the the rules that they have are the old PKC rules, mm-hmm. basically. It's just it's cut and dry. There's yep. no – I mean – you know, it, it's right there, black and white. And the, the only thing with pro sport is you're going to walk a lot in some cases. You're going to walk extra than you would in PKC, uh, and it's a it's the PKC style of hound, and so it's going to kind of up the ante as opposed to a lot of little local UKC hunts where dogs are liable, more liable to be together. But as people, and I see this going on this year, there are more dogs that are in that first tree together. We turned loose down at Buffalo with that Pro Classic $6,500 entry, and we had four dogs on the same tree multiple times, you know, two, three times. And you never seen that two years ago. Right. Never seen it. But these guys are seeing with Pro Sport, these are the same guys that are hunting Pro Sport, they're seeing that these dogs have got to be treed. they got to get a piece of that first coon. Uh, you don't have the opportunity with someone that struck for a 100 and that trails around all night and to leash lock them because the dog that treated a coon for 150 may get a piece of your 200 Mm -hmm. and now you're screwed because you've trailed around for two hours you've treated for 200 that dog comes in for a quarter and a quarter and you're beat yep and so we just it takes a while for the dogs to evolve and for the handlers to evolve and stuff like that but in the end what we really want steven in my opinion is dogs that are a pleasure to hunt through the week and that you can still go win a truck on the weekend. Or you can win $100,000 on a weekend. That's that's the end goal. That is. That is absolutely what it is. It's, you know, I agree with you 100% because that's what I want. Yeah. I mean, it. let's let's just put, if I want to hunt during the week and then I get a wild hair and I say, you know what? They got a pro sport hunt down here in Waterboro right here. By. Right. I'm going to give it a whirl, you know, and I can compete. I feel yeah. like I can compete. 
Um, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I've got a dog right now that I feel I can compete anywhere with him. Now, do I? No, I don't. I, I don't because of family and I work for Joy and I work for another company and uh, family time. Yeah. So, you know, it's easier for me to be with my family till 10 o'clock at night and they go to bed and I go coon hunting yep. till daylight, come back home. And uh, I get enjoy. I I enjoy that. Yep. And and I still enjoy the competitive side. I do. I I always will. Even when I can't go, I still I still keep up with it. I know who's hunting what. Mm-hmm. Um. I I love the competitive side of this sport. And um, this this weekend, I like I hunted the Grand American because it's just my thing. I've done it all my life. Um. But. That weekend, I had two great casts. Probably two of the best casts I've had in years. Um, sportsmanship was out of this world. It was everybody was, you know, they did they did what they were supposed to do. They yep. struck their dogs. They treed their dogs. Um, it was no arguing, no bickering. It was just enjoyable. Uh, you know, I see a lot of guys down here this weekend that I've known for years and years and years. And most of them, I've never had a crossword with any of yeah. them. There's a few of them down down there that I have, but for the most part of it, you know, the competitiveness and the sportsmanship. And if you got a good dog, you don't have to pull all that crap, man. No, you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to be so extra. Just uh, strike and trim. Yeah. And uh, everything works itself out. But. For the most part, you know, I hear people always talking about they got cheated. You know, they hate competition hunting. It's really and truly, they they really didn't get cheated. It was two couple things. They needed a better dog or they needed to learn the rules or they're just not man enough to accept that they got beat. It's usually the third one. So It usually is. I mean, just to be honest, it's usually the third one. And if I get beat, if Josh Michaelis takes me behind the woodshed one night, I'm going to shake his hand because... He deserved it that night. So, I mean, you know, I think if we get more of that, and uh, that's just like Maynard. You know, I, I use Maynard. Maynard's always in a good mood, joking, mm-hmm. we cut up. That's the kind of stuff you like to go to a hunt. I mean, you know, it's camaraderie. Yeah. You know, yeah, everybody likes to win. If you weren't, you're in the wrong sport because it's competitive. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's probably as competitive as any sport out there. Yeah. I mean, night in and night out so there's two sides of it and you'll hear it right here just through all go through all the truth episodes where we talk about competition coonut and kurt was a was a fantastic example where he said you know i'm not your buddy for those two hours that's fine i'm not your buddy for those two hours either you know sometimes i'll cut up and stuff like that but i'm trying to win that cast you know i'm trying to win but also when that's over congratulations yep. to the man that did win exactly if i win congratulations to me and i'm glad i did and it's all over you know and we may we may get and i don't get heated you know very rarely will i get heated i'm sure you're the same way but you'll you'll disagree during a cast age is taking care of a lot it of that does age, age takes care of most of it for everybody even finley has calmed down in a <laughs> cast <laughs> But, uh, you know, and I see these young and hungry guys, and I've drawn them, and, 
you know, during those two hours, I'm just like, Jay, Wes, this guy's doing this, and this guy's doing that, and you're griping, but he's young, and he's hungry, and he's usually got a decent dog, and he's doing the best to win with it. And I kind of tip my hat to him, too, because, you know, I was there. You were there. Yeah. You see that that I'm here to win, and I'm not here to make friends attitude, and I respect that just as much as I do the the Randy Stedman that just comes and, and competes and bicker and argue and make fun of you all night. And then if he beats you, he beats you. And if he don't, he had a good time mm-hmm. anyway. You know, you respect all that. Yeah. There's both sides of it. I but, drew a kid. I drew a kid Saturday night at the Grand American. And he was just like you said. He had, he was hunting a black dog. And that dog, he split every drop. Yeah. Looked amazing. And at the end, he – he made a bad call Mm -hmm. and he flew off the handle you know he couldn't accept it yeah but um you know he's like you said he's just hungry and he's got a good dog and that's just competitiveness out of and you got to respect the fact that he got that dog ready yeah and he got that dog right i i did i did i i I tried to talk to him a little bit afterwards but he was so he was so hot yeah that i was smart enough to know that you know he just needed to go on and drive back to wherever he came from and maybe you know it would he would see it but some of them do and some of them don't yeah um but there's a few i'll take i'll take nothing from him that he was he was the dog to beat in that cast even though my dog won it at the end he was the dog to beat in that cast. And yeah. I, I respected that young man because I knew he was hunting that dog hard, had him prepared for that hunt. And, um, you know, it's like you said, they, they're they young and they're hungry. Yeah. And I was there. I know was, I was in his shoes. I was the same person. I was in his shoes. But yeah. it took me a little while to understand that, you know, I can't – if I make a mistake, it's on me. It's not. It's not the other three people in that cast. It was on me. And I remember one night, and I've told this story I think on the podcast. And uh, I was at a party on a Friday night, and ran my mouth, and some kid just beat me about half to death. <laughs> and I show up Saturday night to this coon hunt, and uh, the whole side of my face swelled up. I've still, I'm still concussed. I mean, this kid, and I had it coming. <laughs> he gave it to me, and I had it coming. And uh, I can't look up in a tree very long without blacking out. And so I kind of pulled some funny stuff. I'm 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And I, I pulled some funny stuff on a couple of trees. And at the end of this hunt, uh, I was hunting a little dog, and she got split. And she's on a big maple. I know she's got a coon. Good dog. I'd got her ready, and I'd been hunting hard. And... and uh, I couldn't shine this tree and see straight or nothing. And I asked that guy that was handling it, and he said, I said, hey, you going to help me shine this tree because you shouldn't have messed up on that? He remembered that very first drop where I pulled some funny stuff. That's right. And I've drawn that guy a hundred times since then, and we've been friends ever since then. He just looked at me as this young, dumb, ignorant kid that didn't know no better, and he realized I've evolved and I've got better and I've become a better human being and a father and stuff like that, and that's how everybody is. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So, Absolutely. You're talking about your Grand American, and you're talking about you got a dog at home that competes. So tell us about Rube. Well, he's a uh, Murray Reagan bred, bred him. He's out of uh, Hatchie River Dottie and Main Street Drat. It's the uh, number one historical cross yep. in the English breed. And uh, <clears throat> the thing that I look the most for in a dog, and I'm not colorblind, I hunt any of them. 
I I just I like a winner. Yeah. But the thing that I look most my number one thing is is I don't look for mouth. I don't look to I look for heart. They gotta have heart. If you know, I want a dog that when he when he wants to give up, he doesn't give up on me. He's always given me that opportunity, whether it be the last ten minutes of the cast, to win a cast. So Rube is a he's a hundred and fifty percent heart. Yeah. I mean, this dog, when I got this dog, he had everything but COVID nineteen. He uh <laughs> He may have had that. That's too. what Michigan State wrote on the blood work. I did over two thousand dollars worth of blood work on that dog. Um he couldn't even hold his head up. And he would still go treat you coons. That's how I knew that he would stay at my house till he died. Because that dog I took him, there was no way in the world he felt like going even going hunting. He loaded up in that dog box. We went, I turned him loose, he went out there and just fell treat. He never has done that since. He had a coon. I shot it out to him. I took him home and I said, Oh boy, I said, Man, you're gonna get healthy. We're going to get well. And I said, then you're going to really show me what you're about. Mm -hmm. So I have a wonderful vet, Dr. Gruber, at Aiken Veterinary Clinic. Um, he's he's actually from the Mississippi Delta, bird dog man, and uh, he understands sporting dogs. And that's hard to find this day yeah. in the veterinarian world. They're all about lap dogs. and yeah. you know that's who pays their bills. So, and, and yeah. you know, he understands it, and he actually, I mean – he and I text each other. If I have, I'll talk to him about this. what do you think about this, and he'll he'll lead me in the right direction. But anyway, so we got he and I got Rube straight. Rube's thyroid was at point five seven. So <laughs> I'll give you a funny story. So that was about the time that I came on with Joy, mm -hmm. and um, so I was giving him Siloxine, Joy dog food twenty four twenty, and clean water every day. He told me, he said, it's a must. You give him fresh water every day. So I did that, and we went six weeks, six weeks, and had his first blood test. He was at 0.87. And he said, oh, he's, he's doing better. He said, but we're going to up the siloxine. And I said, 0.57 to 0.87, and you're, you're, you're looking at me and smiling and saying, he's doing better. Because I'm thinking he ain't yeah. going to know better. And uh, so it went about six months before he got me to come back in the next time. And we went in there, and he came back. He flings the door open, and he says, what are you giving us, dog? And I'm like, I feel like I've got a gun in yeah. to me. You know? I said, I ain't giving him nothing but joy dog food, siloxine, and fresh water. He said, nah. He said, you're giving him something. What are you giving him? I said, Joy dog food, siloxine, fresh water. He said, uh, he said, you got a bag of joy dog food I can get? I can see. I said, yeah. I said, matter of fact, the feed store across the road here, I got it in there. So I went over there and got a bag, and he turns it over, and he, re I mean, he's studying it. Mm -hmm. It's just quiet there for 15, 20 minutes. He opens it up. He looks at it. He said, uh, can I have this bag of dog food? I said, you sure can. Take $55 off my bill. I said, for 48 And I didn't pay the bill. You know how much the bill was? How much? $1,600. Oh, geez. I said, I tell you what, you sure can. I said, for $48, it's yours. He looked at me and said, 
what? I said, you just charged me $1,600. And he said, okay. So anyway, he feeds Joy now. Yeah. And uh, he said he thinks that, because getting back to it, Rube's uh, thyroid was 3.45. And uh, he told me, he said, he, you know, all he could think is that the Joy, the joy was formulated correctly. He was getting enough iodine mm-hmm. to suppress his thyroid and make his thyroid work. Because yeah. basically it just stops working when they get that low. So he just said it, it put it back in full gear and where it needed to be. So I, he told me, he said, take him off to Siloxane. I took him off to Siloxane, and to be honest with you, he, he was a 10 times better dog than he was. Yeah. Um, you know, and he really, he really started performing. So I took him to the Grand American that, that first year. Kudos which, to your vet for telling you to take him off the Siloxane. Yeah, yeah. Because not very it. many of them will do I've done that with two dogs now. I've got a great vet. He he really is. Um, but I took him to the Grand American that first year that I that I had to work for Joy. So I said, well, I'm going. I'm going to hunt. So I hunted him Friday night, and I got a cast win with him Friday night. Saturday night, I didn't go. I didn't hunt. Um, I went home. The next year I go, I get double cast wins. And then this year, Tyler hunted him. He uh, finished seventh Friday night, uh, 16th Saturday night double cast wins and we were fifth of the final four so just about i he was yeah. just there knocking on the door which we had a couple opportunities uh if you'd had a good handler right well no i'm gonna tell you giving tyler green. i'm gonna tell you tyler did a wonderful job he does he yeah. did a wonderful job handling him um brenner's probably a better handler than tyler though <laughs> um just saying but anyway on Friday night, this goes back to sportsmanship. Friday night, JT, he hunts the No Limit Sniper Dog, yeah. James Thomas. On my last tree, Rube was split from his dog, and I had a big old nest and a cow's cock up there. And I'm thinking this this thing could have held a condor. Mm. It wasn't a squirrel bed. It was yeah. a, it was a it was huge. So JT saw the coon, and me and the guide were standing out the paved road, and we could see the coon. But Tyler and them didn't see the coon, so it got circled. So if I'd had that, if he'd got that coon plus, he did been in. in the top four. Saturday night, he had two like that. He had one in a pine tree that uh, Judge saw, the guide saw, and one of the other guys saw, but the other other two didn't see. So that would have got him in. And then he had another another tree that night that he had a coon in that a two to two. Yeah. So and you know, but I take I'll take it how it is. You know, it was it, every bit of it was honest. It was it was done great. Sports and shit, like I said, was great. Um, so he's just a I don't know. He's I, I like him a lot, Josh. That's all that matters. I mean, I, I do. He just he wins he wins more than he loses when he goes to hunts. Um, if he was run up and down the road, probably people you know would know more about him yeah but uh he's a full litter mate brother to main street blue that trevor hack yep. and grant whitmer had so he'd be Kraken's uncle um he's got another litter mate out there in mississippi that he's a granite champion called hollywood they say i've never hunted with him and they say he's a heck of a hound but i've owned three dotty hounds i won chrome one off chrome 
went off awesome, and then this one off of Jack. And the 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 three things that they had in similar they were different, but the three things they had similar was their heart. That's they all had that heart. And we, uh, we were talking about it last night, and I always said, just give me all the heart and half the talent, there you go. and I'll beat your brakes off. There you go. And uh, but he's a he's a big old good athletic looking dog, decent mouth. You can walk walk to him for a mile, mile and a half with hearing him. Um, trees a lot of coons. He uh, he likes to party sometimes, but he always winds up getting by himself a couple times. So he's kind of a good mixture for me because I'm one of those guys now that I don't need him to be by himself all the time. Yeah. I when I was younger, I hunted a dog that was by itself all the time, and um, but now I, I'm smart enough to figure out that I'm better off getting a piece piece out of the truck, one by myself, and I'll win probably. 50% of my cast like that. Because Ronnie Bone always told me when I was a youngin' up there at Aurora one day, I blew a gasket, and he said, what's, it was in youth name. Yeah. He said, what's wrong, son? And I told him, and he said, let me tell you what. He said, I, I'm hunting the winningest dog ever. And he said, if I win 50% of my cast, I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. And I always remember that stuff. I always took stuff from people like him and just, you know, I, I didn't want I've never been one of those people that think I know it all you know I always listened whether it be you Tim Strickland you know I talked to Murray Reagan a lot um you know Ashley Ashley Ox, congratulations to Ashley Ashley Oxidine is my favorite dude I'm just gonna tell he's you he's one of my favorites he's my too. favorite person in the world I I just love sitting talking to him yeah I love being around him. He's just a good man. I've never, and I've met a lot of successful people, and most of them I just love to death, but Ashley's so humble, and he's so polite, and he's so nice to be around. And uh, what I love about Ashley, I think the most, is he's so proud of his dogs. He's just like that little kid that is his first coon dog just treat its first coon by itself you know ashley takes that mentality into these dogs winning at a high level you know and he likes them and you know kudos to him i'm glad he i'm glad he done well last night yeah he's he i always pull for ashley he's uh i don't know if a lot of people know but he's probably one of the hardest working human beings in the world um every time i talk to him he's working but i'm gonna tell you something that's that's even more He's he's a better dog man than most people would ever yeah. give him credit for, because I know personally I I've seen stuff that he's done to dogs that were in a spell and a yeah. rut, yeah. and Ashley can bring them back out there. He's just got that touch, yeah. and uh, I just think a lot of it's got to be of his nature. I think he's, it's I think his dogs like him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's I his, think his nature, dogs like him. and uh, yeah, and I I really. I'm really pulling for him to win this whole thing. I hope he does. He's, he's my man. I'm I'm going to pull for him to the end. Um, I hope him and Dottie bring that truck home or maybe jump in the black dog. He'd probably be more proud with jumping the black dog yeah. because he's a black hey, dog man. Jacob was excited last he night was. about old jumper. He was. He uh, j- jumped. Jake, jumped. Jump's done good yeah. with, with him. Jump's yeah. done really good. Is that dog named Deuce? Is that His name's name? Deuce. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yeah. The Labrador. The Lab. Deuce the Labrador. The Lab that hunts like a walker. Yep. That's yeah. his title. I know when Jake sat down with us on the 
on the live feed he was wound up yeah. excited and i was happy for him Me too. too. he's a good dude he is so really is all right steven we got a lot of work to do this afternoon it's gonna be a long night uh this is gonna air on what is today saturday so the results are gonna be out by the time this airs go to the joy it'll be on the joy dog food events page and you'll see all our live coverage and you'll see kind of an inside look at the pro sport truck hunt you're going to get to see the the final four covered live if you go on there and look at the live feed there too so you guys check it out and, and steven it's been a wonderful weekend i love seeing your home state and i yeah. love having you with me and doing the live coverage it's nice to have another knowledgeable houndsman in the booth with me well, and, i don't know about knowledgeable but i i do want to say one more thing um josh i really appreciate what you've done with these podcasts thank you because i know you probably don't see it but a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment you know because they've never had this with their sport yeah and 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 you know as well as i do coon hunters are diehard loving they love it they They eat breathe and sleep it you have to to do what we do and i just want to tell you that you do a great job and i appreciate it I appreciate you, Stephen, everything you do for me and for Joy and uh, Wade and everybody appreciate it. And I'm sure Chris with Houndsman XP will appreciate you sitting down with us just as well. So let's uh, shut this off and go to work, huh? Yep, let's do it. All right. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network, and we will catch you next time.